welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 104 of Bell the Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, a man who likes inconsistent numbering of episode uh, order. And joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Bobby Blaze. Waka, flaka, flaka, waka, 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 waka. Uh, how did I, did I miss an episode there or something, or did I just do it out of sequence? Did I say it was 102, it was 103, or? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't keep track anymore. <laughs> that, 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 uh, the reason I said it, something funny happened. You ever had one of them punching, uh, the balloon with the rubber band on it, you punch it? Oh, yeah. Pop, 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 okay. Yeah, As yeah. A kid. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I bought one of those a couple of weeks ago. I bought two of them. It was only a dollar, man. And I, my new granddaughter was coming over, and uh, man, I punched him, and it, it was sounding like it was going flocka 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 flocka, <laughs> and I started thinking of waka flocka, and this chick I'd seen on another uh, uh, program that stood up and started warning around going flocka flocka, you know, and I, I, it was just something stupid, man. We got sometimes you got to find entertainment for yourself, you know, as well with the with the young child, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And I spent a dollar. And I, I swear, it's the best damn dollar I spent because we played with those things. I kept telling her she kept throwing it to the roof. It's going to hit the ceiling and popped it. One of them finally did after about an hour. And then she took the other one home, and she said it popped a couple of days later by itself. But I swear it's a good dollar investment, man. Just well, you, yeah, you get, you get a full day's uh, entertainment out of a buck. You've done good. Oh, I did, man. I yeah. did good. She has other stuff here that she loves to play with. But I swear that took up probably the first hour and a half. Um, just, you know, walking around the house doing it. It was, it was hilarious. Yeah. And that noise it was making, it was cracking me up, you know, the way it was making that noise. So, um, anyway. Yeah. My, uh, my grandson is going through a filmmaking period right now. Oh, that's um, I, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find some software that he can do special effects on a Android tablet yeah. because he, he wants to do Star Wars movies, which of course you do at that age, you know. <clears throat> the problem that I'm having with him right now is he's discovered a thing called the Wilhelm scream, which is a public domain scream sound used throughout movies and everything, especially made famous in Star Wars and geek culture. Mm. But he started doing this. He's, he's got tics. He might be autistic. We're not 100% sure. But every every periodically, he just lets this scream out, and it's fucking irritating. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, so that's that's what we're going through with him right now yeah i think she um i texted her on thursday or she wednesday this week and had her mom and i said just tell her flocka waka and her mom was like what, what what's that and i just text back i said just tell her she'll start cracking up so that evening when she come to pick her up and i said what did you did you say when you asked her about that she said well i woke her up and said you know hey it's yours and pops's day today and um, she goes, and then Pops told me to say, uh, Flocka Waka. And she goes, just start giggling, going, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, but when she left here that second time, that's all she was saying. So uh, they may have heard that all day Friday because they, they don't have school and uh, Friday's here for Head Start. Yeah. She's supposed four days a week. So she might have drove everyone crazy and uh, with that with that sound. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. So what's been going on? 
I think tomorrow, uh, just uh, I know you don't tune in and listen to the weather, but by God, I'll tell you what, today, yesterday, today's 45, down in the low uh, 20s, uh, 23 last night, 23 today. But starting tomorrow, it looks like it's going to be almost spring weather for the next week. So I'm excited about that. Might yeah. actually get outside here and walk or do something. We have been swinging from like 40 to just about 70 degrees. Nice. Uh, so you wake up in the morning, it's still cold, you grab a jacket, you go to work, and then in the middle of the day, you're fucking hot, you know? Yeah, okay. I um, that, though. Yeah, you know, that, that's... It's freezing rain and ice and wind. Uh, and yeah, it's better than storms. Yeah, better than half the country being buried under snow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, okay, so last last week, I get a message from Sean, one of our, uh, our on-the-scene reporters down there in Mississippi, um, who says that everything was taken down from the NWA page on YouTube? Mm-hmm. And so now I'm, I go and start watching the tweets, and you know every every theory you can imagine is in there. You know they're they're closing down. No, they're coming back. No, Vince McMahon bought them. No, on and on and on and on and on. And then last week a commercial hits. The NWA is coming back. Yes. Now, I like that. Yeah, me too. I don't know, besides Nick Aldis and Thunder Rosa, I don't know who, I don't know what talent they still have, but I'm kind of excited to see. Yep. Um, they got a pay-per-view coming up on March 21st. Um, I am happy they're back. I mean, I wish the show was still free, but you know what, they got to they, they gotta make money somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, now they're doing a. If I understood what you told me correctly off the air, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. are they doing a pay per view and then also some tapings after that? Is that correct? That's that's what I am guessing based off of just kind of gleaning information or possibly making shit up. I'm not sure where, where that information came from anymore, but yeah, that was okay. the that was the impression I had for some reason. Yeah, so you said that was Sunday. I was questioning whether it was a Thursday. My motivation for that was um, um, I, I think the way they'd done it before, they went down and did like um, all day Friday and Saturday TV tapings for two days for those eight weeks that they'd put up. And I was thinking, well, I wonder if they'll do a Friday, Saturday again and then have a pay-per-view on that Sunday evening or if they'll do – a taping uh, Saturday and Sunday, then do the, the pay-per-view that evening. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or if they hold them back, do the pay-per-view on Sunday and tape on Monday and Tuesday. Since there are not going to be any fans, I would imagine, um, uh, just my thought, that they could actually, you know, uh, tape, you know, on a, a Monday or Tuesday, logically, as they could a Friday and Saturday, you know, uh, uh, due to the fact you're not trying to, you know, get fans in a building per se. Right. Um, I don't know. But I hope they uh, get back out there and go on, man. Cause we had a lot of our listeners uh, that really dug that show, and uh, uh, several of us had several, you know, several people that we were really following uh, their career on that show. You know, yeah. um, found several of them that we really started enjoying. Some of them you'd already turned me one to prior to them getting to the end of, you know, starting the end of a one through that um, pro wrestling uh, Hollywood. I think it was you turned me on to. Yeah. Yeah, there's no. That's there's, pretty cool stuff, man. Pretty well, cool stuff. That's yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of talented guys out there who, you know, for several years were just under being discovered because where do you go work? You know, yeah. you know, and before, I mean, Bobby, do you remember the world before two years ago? There was no like other big brand of wrestling. 
I mean, it, it, you did know, nobody gave a shit about the NWA. AEW wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't even a t-shirt company yet. Uh, ROH you'd watch here and there, but somehow it'd shit the bed about every six weeks and you'd lose yeah. interest. Um, and hopefully with the NWA coming back, it'll bring back all that excitement we were having 14 months ago. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if they're all necessarily fans of our program, but I know AEW has a shitload of fans, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and people still follow WWF, obviously, or mm-hmm. WWE, you know. So there, there's an, that's the thing. There's enough wrestling that's out there that you can find something you like, you know. Um, I just, during this pandemic, you know, I tried to watch a couple. You and I both did without the fans there, and it just to me, I just couldn't dig it, you know. Oh, it just um, lets the air out. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, so I don't know what this pay-per-view is going to be like. And the way they've done their TV tapings where it was such a limited, uh, smaller crowd anyway. Excuse me. I don't know how that impacts their their tapings for the next, you know, eight weeks or whatever once they start doing those without fans there. Um, then I guess this is just, uh, this is just me. Um, some of these fucking states, I guess, a couple of these Governors are just going to say, forget the face mandate, and we're opening back up at a fucking 100%. I don't know what the logic is behind that. I don't think there is any logic behind it. But someone might get the broad idea in the wrestling business, say, fuck, let's go run a show in this state. Um, You know, balls out, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I think Texas is one of them opening. Maybe Mississippi. I don't don't know. I'm just saying, you just get on the road, and they might do it, man. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just my, it's just my, I'm not trying to be political, not trying to be funny or nothing. I'm just thinking if a couple of these states open back up at a hundred percent, which I think is too soon and crazy, but if they do it, um, fucking, I think it's one of those things. If you build it, they'll come. I think if you say we're having a show in, in Austin or fucking, uh, Dallas, Tupelo, Mississippi, yeah. Dallas, wherever, I don't, I think people would fucking, you know, there's going to be people out there, um, going to them. Um, I, don't know. I I would think so. I mean, I would, hopefully whoever's running the show is being careful. I mean, just yeah. be, just because the state says you don't need to wear a mask anymore, if if you know you're uncomfortable leaving without one, wear a fucking mask. I mean, you know. No, I know where I stand. Yeah. That's why I think it's kind of silly. I'm gonna I'm continue wearing my mask. I'm gonna continue social distance. I'm gonna continue to limit my my even going out of the house unless I have to. You know, I'm just saying uh, it was. Surprise me if someone didn't do that though. Yeah. Um, um, well, you know, that's just my. Uh, well, you know, so I, I, I was my mom was on my ass about flying out of state a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, you're going to be exposed. Yeah, you and that silver scorpion took off of my ass. Well, bastard. yeah, there was there was some there was some <laughs> things we had to take care of. Um, okay. You know, and and when the scorpion plane lands at the airport and calls for you, you go. You know. Okay, uh, I got you. But my mom was riding my ass about just like how unsafe it was, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Mom, the only time I've been exposed to that disease is in my apartment from my kid, my grandkids. That yeah. is the only time there's been a scare with me, you know, being around it. So if I'm not safe in here, I, you know, I, I fuck it, I should be able to take a plane. You know, I'm no, yeah. I'm no more at risk there than I am here. That was kind of my, my takeaway from it. Ah, man. 
Well, I'm glad you're back safe. Hell, let's yep. do a program. Oh, that? that sounds like a um, brilliant fucking well, idea. We're talking about the NWA. I want to talk about something real quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you and I spoke on the phone about this the other evening. We'll just go over this very briefly. Uh, Josephus, the question mark, passed away. And I know that's old news to a lot of people. Um, I didn't bring it up on the podcast last week because I don't think it had happened. Maybe it did happen. I just let it slip that I didn't put it in there. I think it had uh, just happened. I think so, too, yeah. but I know you and I spoke about it. Um, we didn't have it in our notes, but I just wanted to make mention of that because we were talking about the NWA. And I think he was only in his 40s, man, you know. No, he was, and, a, he, uh, was a young, he was a young guy, yeah. Yeah, so um, just kind of my condolences to that. And I know he was really busting his butt there in the NWA. And um, uh, anyway, I just want to bring up because we had another death in, in this past week. Um I don't think the guy had been sick. He's a little bit older, of course. I think he was uh, 79 or 80 years old. Uh, I forgot what I wrote down, honestly, his age. Um, but as, uh, Jim Crockett Jr. passed away. God bless it. You all right? Stuff here. Yeah, yeah I, dropped, I was about to drop my phone. I thought I had written his age down. It must have been on another piece of no, a notebook paper. But, um, yeah, we lost a good one there because, uh, you know, Jim Crockett, they just um, – they ran more than pro wrestling. You know, they ran the Globetrotters, the uh, the Crockett, you know, JCP ran uh, gospel shows, rock show, you know, everything. Oh, yeah. I had two texts I wanted to read, and then you and I talk about just a little bit more uh, if you'd like to. But uh, uh, my good friend Mike Mooneyham, he put the passing of Jim Crockett Jr. truly makes the end of, marks the end of an era, especially here in the Carolinas where the family patriarch Big Jim Crockett Sr. laid the foundation for JCP more than 85 years ago. Decades later, eldest son Jimmy would take it to new levels on a national stage. And then uh, Tony Schiavone, um, and I've heard him tell this story before about his uh, how he got started there uh, in baseball and to wrestling. But he says, uh, today my heart breaks uh, with the passing of Jim Crockett. Everything I have become professionally because of him and his family. His sister Frances hired me to do baseball in 1982. A year later, Jimmy decided to give me a shot at wrestling. He made me what I am today. And I thought that was pretty cool because um, I've heard Tony talk about how, you know, um, when he first got caught in to do the baseball gig, he was like really nervous. And uh, I think he had to go meet Flair. And um, I can't remember who he met before he met Flair, but but as soon as he met him, they started treating him like, you know, he had to stay outside the doors of this and that, but everyone treated him with so much respect, and he just kind of felt like he fit in. Of course, the more better he got, the more they opened up to him. So, uh, but yeah, um, Jimmy Crockett Jr. passed away. So, yeah, uh, um, probably you know one of the most consequential uh, promoters in pro wrestling history. But like you said, JCP and their family promoted so much more than just pro yeah. wrestling. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, I'm gonna kind of bring this up in context of something because a guy I work with, who who knows a little bit about pro wrestling, but he, I wouldn't say he's like a history buff when it comes to it. But he goes, hey, he goes, it was really weird. Like I had just seen on Twitter that Jim Crockett Jr. passed away, and he kind of knows about him from me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but then as I'm looking at that story, I look up at the TV, and J.J. Dillon, Tolly Blanchard, and was it FTR? Are coming yeah, to the go. yeah coming to the ring wearing you know Tully's got the U.S. title on they've got the uh, old NWA tag titles on he goes it was cool. just yeah it was just kind of a wild thing to see because you know right when I'm reading about how Jim Crockett's passed away that's on the screen yeah yeah uh, 
Was that a tribute, you think? Um, well, they they film those ahead of time, don't they? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I think so, too. I just didn't know if it was time to do an homage or something to it, yeah. so I didn't know. I know this was filmed, and I was trending. I, they got my... They got. I was trending the other day, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big Show fucking comes out on that AEW, and he's wearing a shirt, no more BS. Now I want to know why he's trying to fucking put me down like a no more BS. But then I start realizing I'm, I go by BBS. So I yeah, thought, fuck. Yeah. Um, they're going to put my initials on a shirt. I'm going to start getting some residuals from the shirt. And then I wrote, oh, man, um, this girl a long time ago, she used to hashtag me. BBS, and I was like, well, if they'd have put no more BBS, and I'd have been disappointed, but um, I can't complain too bad. So I guess that's more big news there, too. Big show jumping over, because there's no more big show. Um, uh, Paul White had jumped over to AEW, so and that, I guess they got a few more accusi- uh, acquisitions coming. Well, that was that was one that I couldn't believe, because he's been with the WWF for, what, 23 years? Yeah, yeah, 22, 23 years, they said. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I I I was kind of, I was I'm not really watching AEW all all that close. You yeah, know, I kind of go back and check up on what's going on. Yeah, but yeah. I was well, I was color shocked money, by that man, one. I guess. You know, well, yeah. Uh, echoes of of uh, of that. You know, um, who, who knows? You know, I mean, if if I mean, I think he does movies. Um, he's done TV shows. Uh, he, he's very talented. Um, I think his ring work is going to be not as much, but the announcing part and the publicity part and um, and all the PR work and stuff, I think it's, it's, it's great. But I don't know why, you know, he, he's parted ways with Vince. And of course, like I said, probably just the color of money, um, more money offered, you know, greener pastures, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what else is going on, man? I know what's coming up next on the notes. Uh, well, yeah. So, so bring it up. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously before a show goes up, I listen to it and, you know, kind of balance the sound and upload it. And, um, I was, I was kind of into your show until I realized the guy I <laughs> would have gone with as number one, didn't get number one. Um, Bobby, why, why do you hate Mike Awesome? I, I don't. Here's the thing, folks, if, if you listen, I, I think I messed that one up. I, I, first of all, I put him in a hard bracket. Um, up there, uh, Crush, uh, uh, Brian Adams. So um, I, I, I've watched two nights in a row this week. I've, I've listened to some Mike Awesome interviews. I think they were from like 98, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I'll tell you, man, I missed the boat on that one, i tell you. I went for longevity, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I went for Ricky, because everyone's, he's still carrying the mullet to this day, still yep. wearing it, you know. Uh, party in the front or business in the front party in the back, you know, yep. um, I tried to be, you know, I put my picture up there. My brother sent me with my mullet, uh, try to be uh, goofy with the hinting thing coming at the free bird rule. But really I, when I, when I looked at it, I went back and, and I looked up some pictures and stuff and I went by memory on a couple and I thought the Scott Hall and a one, two, three kid, uh, I thought that was a good little matchup to start it, you know, um, I thought, you know, putting like George South and Barry Horvitz on a list was good. You know, I, you know, I, I, I really thought through a lot of it, but what I didn't really think through was, um, cause I was trying not to go for like work, right. If, if it was, uh, I put Bob Eaton against Ricky Morton right away. I thought that was, you know, classic, but, um, again, had I, had I actually done it and looked at the mullets at that time, the 10 or 12, 15 year time period I was looking at. 
Um, man, I'll say it. Mike Awesome should have won. You know, he, he had the best fucking mullet out there. That was a pretty big ass, big head to have that big mullet on. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure I missed the boat on that one. And I had a couple people uh, before the podcast came out said, if Mike Awesome is not on this list, you know, so people are like ahead of the game. They put a couple. couple I got a couple of Ricky Morton isn't on this list, you know. No gimmick guy. Uh, no gimmick guy out there. He sent me one. I think his was uh, if Ricky Morton and uh, Mike Awesome are on this list, and he put like dot dot dot, and I was like, man, well you fucking read my notes or something. And I think uh, Johnny Candido did the same thing. I could be wrong. Uh, Chris's younger brother, he says something like, uh, you got to have Mike Awesome on there, you know, something like that. So, so some people were ahead of the game. Uh, uh, on, on Twitter at Bobby Blaze seven forty four, find Jeremy at the Geekish Cast. Or the joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze, but yeah, um, and please, folks, I, I'm not so vain to think I'm gonna get it right all the time. Uh, hit us up, man. Let us know. I think we got a couple show ideas already come through. Jeremy's passed those along to me. Hit us up on there and let us know. Like Bobby, uh, I like the. Uh, someone did put they like that and 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 injected a free bird rule and mm-hmm. and uh, had several other things. So I got some good comments from it, but also I got a couple about you know where's Mike Awesome. So uh, my apologies, I missed it, and um, maybe we'll have another tournament and. Um, we'll we'll work work Mike in with the mullet uh, towards the finish on something. We'll see. Yeah, that's my bad, Jeremy. Well, you know, Mike Awesome's one of those guys that I think that you know, myself included, we don't give him enough credit. And I thought the uh, the mullet was the perfect time for Mike Awesome's praises to really be sung. And uh, you know, well, yeah. Um, yeah. I did want to do this real quick. You okay? Um, when I was doing a little bit of studying on the airplane flight home last week. I read a couple things that I found amusing about the mullet. Um, the term was first used in 1994 by the Beastie Boys. Okay. That's the first time the term mullet was used to refer to that haircut. But here are other names that the mullet is, uh, goes by. The ape drape, the beaver paddle, the bi-level, the Camaro cut, business in front, party in back, the Canadian passport, the coupe longville, El Camino, Hockey Hair, Kentucky Waterfall, the Missouri Compromise, the Mud Flap, the Neck Warmer, the Ranchero, the Schlonk, that's a combination of short and long, Achy Breaky Bad Mistakey, the Soccer Rocker, the Squirrel Pelt, the Tennessee Top Hat, and the Yep Nope. Those are all. <laughs> that's pretty damn good, man. <laughs> Pretty good, man. Yeah, I, I oh. some of those I loved. I just, I you know, I, I was like, I have to, yeah. I have to read this. I have to yeah. read this. Um, good, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the brass tacks, so to speak. Um, we're going to be talking about moves that used to be finishers in pro wrestling yes. that are now just willy nilly. Um, yeah, someone out there running high spots. Yeah. You know, uh, kicking out of shit they shouldn't be kicking out of, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, um, it's and that's the evolution of wrestling, though. As athletes, I will say that you know, um, it's like my grandfather used to say: if everyone wanted the same things in life, uh, they'd all be chasing your grandmother around the uh, the uh, clothesline out back. You know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> um, did your grandma use he, a clothesline? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, I, the boy, like, and, a, like, and the boys used to chase around the yard. Well, wait, yeah. no, 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 hold on. Did she use a clothesline or a lariat? 
No, clothesline. Okay. Two different things. We'll okay. get into that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Little Grant Gertrude out there, it wouldn't take her much to, if, if you gave her a damn uh, clothesline <laughs> or Larry. But it, it's all right. She's a nurse. She'd have, she'd, have, she'd have taken care of it. I'll tell you that. Thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, okay. So, yeah. Things change. And so some of these holds, for example, we're going to start with um, Body Slam. Mm-hmm. And we're, it's just, I've got some notes here from Jeremy he just, that he, he, he doesn't get on notes. I just touched something up on this one. I just remember in training and, um, you know, Malenko was, we was, we were doing the ropes and doing this thing, this thing, everyone wants to be slammed, you know, um, of course I had been by that point, but not at his school, you know, per se, but, um, when he was showing a couple people to body slam, I remember him saying a couple of times he can recall when that used to be a finish, you know? Yeah. And of course that was 20, let's see, 1989. So, I mean, hell that's 30 uh, years, you know, 32 years ago or whatever it was. Um, you know, him saying that then talking about 30 years prior to that. So, you know, 60 damn years ago now, you know, yeah. when that was, when that was a finish, but we just kind of started there as a starting point for the body slam. Now, um, here's a couple that, uh, for my honorable mention, Jeremy, um, the, the back body drop. Now, I don't know that I saw any matches, uh, where a guy took a high back body drop and took a pin, but I know when I first started watching wrestling, there was a lot of close pins or covers from that. So judging by that, I knew at one point it had to be a, a, a you know a pinning combination. You give the guy a half backdrop, spin around, drop down on one, two, three. So I would say that probably went out in around the uh, uh, probably mid sixties. I might say early, but probably mid sixties to, to the late sixties where people started um, kicking out of you know the high high backdrop. Um, my other one on here was a full Nelson. Um, you know, that used to be a submission hold, and I don't know if a lot of guys even put it on people anymore. Uh, if they do, they're just working and out of something, which is fine. But, um, you know, up until you had um, uh, both Hercules, Hernandez, and um, Billy uh, Jack Haynes. Your Billy Jack Haynes both used it as a finish. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, once they got you in it, you didn't get out of it. Um, and then this other one I want to bring up real quick was the, um, the pile driver. Now, I obviously don't watch a lot of wrestling, but from my understanding, it has been barred, you know. I don't think you can do it in WWE. We talked about it being barred in a kayfabe way. That always made it fun. Yeah. When a referee couldn't see you do it, uh, they for the next six months, no one could do this hold or you're going to be, this move, or you're going to be suspended without pay for six months, you know. And then he would always get the referee uh, uh, distracted some way, and then he would, you know, now, that's the thing. To my knowledge, I'm sure other people have kicked out of it, but there was only one time when someone was allowed to kick out of Jerry Lawler's, okay? And that was in Memphis, and that was with the uh, Road Warrior Animal, or Hawk, rather. Man, he done that big, they had that big uh, show, AWA, Road Warriors in there. Uh, Lawler power drives them, and the place is already going nuts, you know. And Lawler pops up like he always did, and then, of course, Hawk just pops right back up out of the mount, uh, out of the mat, 
and Lawler turns around and it's just a huge pop. That just shows how over the road warriors were right there in the ring yeah. with Lawler, you know. So that was that was okay because it was part of the angle and he was told to do so. Um, and they were making money, obviously, you know. Um, but the point being, there are before going into these things, there are uh, reasons you can kick out of it where it's not used as a finish uh, for certain reasons, you know, referees, distractions, uh, getting an angle over or whatever. But for the most part, all these moves that we're, we're going to talk about, and I'm going to let Jeremy start it here with the net, with, with, with the drop kick, but um, they shouldn't have been kicked out of, but like I said, the evolution of wrestling and better athletes, bigger, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just use these as spots now. Um, and a lot of people, what's worse than that, I think, though, and Jeremy, is is that they no-sell them. That's the only that's yeah. the problem I have. I have a bigger problem with the no-sell than I do the fact that they're using them as a spot, you know. Um, so, anyway, go ahead. Start us off here. Well, so the next one we're going to bring up is the drop kick. Um, now, there's a little, little contention here. The two people it can be traced back to is, uh, number one, Jumping Joe Savoldi, and the other one is Abe Coleman, also known as the Hebrew Hercules or the Jewish Cougar. Um, and I've seen some Jewish Cougars in my time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but so they they both are the earliest people that can be found using a, a drop kick. I believe that Abe Coleman's was a drop kick like to the hip area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then jumping Joseph Voli, his was like a standing uh, drop kick. Wow. And I think Savoldi, the reason they call it a drop kick is, if I remember right, one of the two was a football player, and it was a, you know, a drop kick yeah. is, yeah, it comes out of football, yeah. so they were trying to kind of glom the terms on there. Yeah. But, you know, you got to remember back in these days, wrestling was fucking three-hour-long matches where you're trying to get a hold of somebody's wrist or ankle the whole time. Yeah, and on the mat for the most part. Yeah. Not not a lot of, you know, might get to the ropes here or there. Not a lot of standing, um, only to stand up and try to take someone down in a, in a way, but to jump up and drop kick them, that had to be, you know, pretty spectacular to see. Uh, maybe even someone thinking, hey, that guy's cheating, he's kicking, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends. Who who was someone, that, uh, you have any favors that, that done a drop kick? I've got a couple in mind. Well, you know, that, Sting's, uh, Sting's standing drop kick was fucking awesome because for a big guy like that to get as high as he did with that kick yeah i was a big fan of him when he pulled that move off cool i tell you he was huge and had these big thighs big power lifter out of university of tennessee might have heard of a mike furnace that motherfucker had a drop kick he could get up man he wrestled a lot over in japan mm-hmm. he did some stuff with wwf there early on man he had them big thighs he could just and he could do that drop kick and he'd he'd flip over or land on his feet. He could just it was it was incredible, man, for a man of that size to do it. Um, another one was a um, a young uh, Coco Beware. You know? Oh yeah, uh, he he could do it really good, uh, really good drop kick uh, back in the day. I'm probably leaving someone off, but that, those are the two that come to mind that I thought could give a you know really fabulous drop kick. Uh, and again, yeah, uh, Sting's had, he, he had a good standing one. I liked that a lot too. That was a pretty good one. Bam Bam Bigelow did a standing one. Yeah, he uh, did. I forgot about you that. Know, yeah. Just, just was coming to mind as I was talking about it. Uh, and, um, that was pretty impressive. So. Yeah. Anyway. Um, 
you know, and there's there's more out there, I'm sure, if we oh, were to yeah, really sit yeah. and think about it. It's just yeah. when I think, like, who whose dropkick did I like best, the one that pops into my head immediately is Sting standing dropkick. Right, just, I got you. Yeah, just because, I mean, when he, you know, when he was in his prime, the dude was as big as a fucking, you know, Volkswagen yeah. or something, and he'd jump up in the air as high as he did and pull off that kick. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to this next one. I'll introduce it. The super kick. How about oh, that, boy. man? Yeah. I used to love the super kick. I could do it pretty good at one time. Nowhere in the level of uh, at least a couple of these people we may mention, but probably above the level of a couple of others, I'll say that. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, the super, the, the super kick, man. Did you like that move? I was a huge Chris Adams fan, even when he was, uh, even when he was a keel. Yeah. I, I love the super kick as a finish because, and I, I didn't understand the storytelling back then, but a good villain should have a finish that can pop out of nowhere and end yeah. a match that you don't, you don't see it coming. Um, now here's a little interesting thing about the super kick, Bobby. When Chris Adams first used a move called the super kick, it was an enziguri. He later okay. he later switched to a uh, like a, a jumping sidekick or you know whatever yeah. yeah whatever you want to call that, uh, but he started with it as an enzigiri. To the back of the head. To the back of the head, yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Okay. Um, now of course Chris Adams is credited as creating the move, and I think that's correct. I'm I don't think there's any yeah. question about that. <clears throat> Shawn Michaels, I would say, probably popularized the move more than anybody, mm-hmm. and the move was ruined by the Young Bucks. Yeah, I see that. Uh, I took Chris Adams two or three times. Um, I liked the way he did it. Um, it looked legit. It felt legit. Uh, you know, if you fed right into it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely popularized by Shawn Michaels just to the amount of, uh, you know, the showstopper there, the amount of um, uh, people eyes, eyeballs on him, you know, yeah. as far as TV, pay-per-view, and, and, and arenas. And then, like, like you said, ruined by the Young Bucks because – after one with Adams, you know, you're pretty much done. I think maybe, maybe I don't, I'm just saying this. Maybe Gordy got up once and he had to take, you know, take a second one. Garvin. Yeah. Garvin, uh, I know Garvin, did because, okay. because okay, text, someone did. Yeah. Text threw that in my face one time. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, then, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think there's a video where I'm saying that nobody ever got up from a Chris Adams super kick. And it shows Garvin get up from a Chris Adams super kick. But, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, knew something, I knew something was out there because we discussed that before. Yeah. And that's okay because it's probably one of those deals, the bigger deal, like kicking yeah. out of the power driver, you know, no selling it like Hawk did. Same thing. Um, so, and, and with Michaels, I don't know. Uh, he started, he used it as a finish, you know, to sweet chin music and give him all these different names and that. Um, you know, pretty much that, guess what? If, if he gives it to you, you're going to sell it, and more likely it's going to be the finish. And that, that's 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 a good thing right there. Well, okay? yeah, you should. And, you know, Bobby, since you bring that up, you, you wrestled Chris Adams a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. yep. When when that kick lands, is it under the jaw? Where's where that? Where's where, Like, yeah, how do you right. take that shot? Um, timing. I always had – I'm pat myself on the back. I always had really good timing. Mm-hmm. My timing, just from playing other sports, and also uh, a balance and, and, and timing was taught at, at Malenko's. You can't teach those things, but I had it so good that uh, um, that it was easy to improve upon my timing. So when I were getting up off something, I knew almost precisely how to put my hand up, and it was coming right to my left jaw. 
Okay. Um, if I turned my head facing him, it would have been right underneath my chin or in my mouth. But the way I fed, I, I fed right to where his leg was going to be at the fully extended mark. And um, I knew also if I didn't put my hand up, um, I, he was going to kick me and kick me hard. And it would be my fault for not protecting myself yeah. because we had that agreement. Um, you know, if I was just out there and he didn't say anything and kicked me, I'd probably be a little bit hot about it. You know what I'm saying? But having an agreement that, you know, you know my finish, yeah, um, I'm coming to this side. So I knew automatically it's coming from my left side. I just knew where to feed to and time it to where when he got that foot at fully extended, he has no more thrust to kick me other than what he's going to kick me. You know, um, it was it was a, a solid but not um, – didn't jar my teeth or anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, like I said, my hand protection was up near my uh, left jawline and my ear right there and um, worked on it from there. The, uh, uh, well, I was going to be at Sean Michaels. I don't know if anyone's going to cost out. Did anyone kick out of his uh, after the first one? Just like we just talked about. I don't know. Well, and see, he stacked that move too. He would get a yeah. super kick and then an elbow drop and then a pin. If I if yeah, I remember right, a combination two or three like Bret Hart, the same thing. Get that two or three moves for to finish uh, the pin. That's what I always liked, and that's what I was thinking. Uh, uh, he got a couple things in there, set you up for the super kick, boom, then went to the top for the yeah. final. So, well, yeah, you I know, like and as much as I shit <laughs> on him, he really made a production out of the super kick. The, the going into the corner and the stomp. Oh, yeah. I mean, that really, you know, that fucking worked the crowd into a lather. You know, and, like, you know that's the thing. He let the people in the upper, upper arena see yeah. the same thing the people down front were seeing. And that that's the whole thing. He was so over that way, too, just pantomiming that, you know, hey, this this is what's coming, you know. Boom, boom. And that's part of your timing, too. If you're if you're in a Gary take after Shawn Michaels and you hear that stomp, boom, 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 it's time to be off your knees and up and either walking into it turning into it, spinning away from it, whatever it is to where you're going to take it. Um, so, yes, good points. Now, you got down here, ruined by the Young Bucks. Yes. So that was part of the thing about, you know, no selling and stuff. After one or two, so now you're up to three, four, five, six. Um, oh, that's fuck. just a bunch of bullshit. The, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll pull out like a dozen, easily a dozen in a match. Yeah. And sometimes they'll both kick a guy in the face or the head at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the things I do like that's, uh, that it's developed into is they use a super kick as a body shot sometime, which I think that's perfectly fine to repeat. You know, it's just a strong, you know, sidekick. Yeah. That's gotcha. fine. But yeah, you crack somebody under the jaw, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Fuck off, man. I yeah. just, that's you know. That's more like a jab, you know, yeah. boxing. You know, you're just putting it out there, feeling a guy out. That would be uh, okay if you're fucking. Uh, uh, shooting a Bruce Lee movie and you're just kind of backed the guy up, throwing some super kicks, back, 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 just backing him up to fill him out. But this that shit there doesn't work when they're actually landing them and a person's pretty much knows them or, or or they're not getting hurt from it, whatever it is, then why fucking do it? You yeah, know? yeah. Again, what I liked about the super kick is that it's a perfect heel finish. Yeah. Comes out of nowhere and fucking cracks mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, you could have you, you could have Chris Adams losing and then just get a lucky shot in. Bam. Yeah. Lights and out. that's the move that I've talked about before. Uh, you, if you've got something you can do on someone small, medium, or large, no matter how big your opponent is, if you've got that finish that come out of nowhere that you can pull off doing it to a guy of any size, it's a much better, easier way to, to go over as a finish because you can pull it out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no lifting required. 
you know, uh, you just got to be able to get your leg up in the air to the, to the height that, you know, you're going to kick the guy on the chin or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty good move. But uh, I, after about – I'm a no-sell of Buffs anyway. I don't know them. I, I'm glad they learned how to market because that's one thing they did. They learned how to market themselves. Yep. They're in with a, a big group now, and that's good. That's what your goal is as a wrestler is to, you know, get you a contract and make money. Um, so I'm not going to knock that. Look, they but, got uh, themselves over, you know. Yeah, they yeah. learned to get over that. But, fuck it, I ain't, I'm not selling a super kick for them. I'm sorry. Um Send that shit somewhere else, pal. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong address. <laughs> Wrong address. Take it back. Return to singer. Right. That's right. What we got next? I just did super kick. You're up on the next one. All right. The, the next one is going to be the hammer lock. Uh, yes. Ed Lewis, Bruno San Martino, and then, of course, George Steele used a flying hammer lock as a finish. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, now it's the transition, of course. You can go headlock, switch, hammerlock, uh, back to the headlock. You know, there's so many. And if I've trained anyone out there is listening, they know what I'm talking about. I just tell them I headlock, switch, hammerlock. If I'm touching you, I don't have to talk because I know I'm going to grab you by the head. I'm going to switch it to the other side. I'm going to reach behind you. I'm going to feel you out for a hammerlock. I'm going to lock it on for a second. Let that go. Come right back to headlock. And then I might be off hitting the ropes on your whatever, you know, just depending on how energetic and not, not me today. I'm just saying just in talking to people, but that hammerlock, you can go from a hammerlock to a drop toe hold to a single leg takedown. Uh, there's so much stuff that you, once you get the guy down, you can hold him down on the mat with that hammerlock. Oh yeah. Uh, you see guys use their feet. Uh, Bob Eaton was good on when a guy got down on his, had him in a hammerlock, he'd lock his legs, uh, around the, uh, uh, Bobby Fulton did this a lot too, um, uh, get you in a hammerlock on, on your, on your stomach on the mat and they lock their feet around to where they have you in a hammerlock on the mat and your face down there standing up and they would take a back bump, boom, and it put more pressure on your shoulder and elbow joints. Uh, looked real nice, felt real tight. Um, but yeah, that hammer lock, and also, um, you can manipulate someone with that hold, you know. Uh, if you have to escort someone out um, quickly somewhere, you just, you know, if you grab the person the right way and uh, uh, jerk them by the elbow with one hand and jerk their wrist with the other, um, you can make a person pretty much move the direction you want to go. Um, uh, Towards the door, exit, yeah. or whatever, or get the hell out of one, whatever. Um, I saw Sandy's cop. Uh, we, we were at the National Guard Armory, and I was wrestling Buddy Landell in a main event. And uh, I think I told you a story where Buddy hit the guy. The guy came out of the seat. He was giving Buddy hell the whole time in the front row. And uh, Buddy stuck his head and he took a swipe at him. Well, he caught him, and uh, barely caught Buddy across the uh, face. And Buddy dropped off the ring apron and went to punch him. He caught him, but not full thrust. Uh, but he caught him just enough on the chin that the guy went down, and he went off fours. When he did, Buddy backed up about two steps. And I was yelling the whole time. The place was going crazy. But, but I was yelling, like, Buddy, get the fuck in. <laughs> you know? And, uh, man, he punted that guy right in the gut. I mean, it, it was like a dog down on all fours, and Buddy just punted that motherfucker. <laughs> well, <laughs> as soon as that happened, man, what was almost funnier than that, fucking Sandy Scott scooped in with a hammer lock, and he had him from the front row of that ringside out the front door in about two seconds, and it was about probably uh, a good 50 or 60 feet away to the front door, and Sandy kept that guy after he, I won't say the punch, it didn't even stagger him too much, but the kick 
knocked his guts out. Yeah. And Sandy had a shoot hammer lock. That guy had no idea. He went out the building. I'm sure he's like, what the fuck just happened to me? I was enjoying matches at one point. Now I'm out here in fucking middle of Lexington Avenue. <laughs> but it was funny. Um, but he shouldn't have took the swing at Buddy anyway. That hammer lock is very effective, like I said, especially for a short amount of time when you grab someone quickly crank at wrist, crank their shoulder joint, and, and, and move forward with them to where you want them to go. So uh, credit to Sandy Scott for getting someone out of the building one day. That's pretty good. So, uh, all right, man. Any more Hammerlock stories? Well, you know, I just, uh, George Steele always amazes the shit out of me that, you know, when you see, like, an interview with George Steele, thoughtful, soft-spoken, you know, kind of just yeah. like a cool, easygoing dude, yeah. high school teacher, and he wrestled in the next town over so his students wouldn't see him. How do you do a whole career like that? You know? yeah. 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 I told you about the guy in Tampa. Um, Ted Webb used to do the wrestling down in Tampa for the uh, uh, WFLA uh, radio uh, down there. And he was one of my brother and I was living in Florida, living life, you know. And uh, it was pretty cool. We listened to these different radio programs. And WWE would come to town, of course, after the time that's, you know, like – Getting spots, you know, when the biggest uh, AMFM station was, uh, uh, and it had a TV station too, WFLA. And <laughs> Ted was, <laughs> uh, he had done an interview with uh, George Steele earlier that day, but he said, uh, Yeah, I remember the first time I saw um, uh, George Steele in the back. And he said, uh, said um, He was smoking a cigarette, had a green tongue, and come up to me and said, Ted, how are you? He said, I thought I thought Santa Claus was, you know, he said, it was like a supposing Santa Claus, you know, and he's on there telling a story, you know, a couple of years later, like, it was like Santa Claus being exposed to me, man. It was like, he just out of character sitting there, you know, smoking on a fucking Lundart and just, uh, you know, green tongue and all. Ted, how are you? That's funny. Oh, man, yeah. All right, let's move on to the power bomb. The power bomb. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that this name hasn't come up more because this man invented a shit ton of wrestling holds and moves. Yeah. Uh, Luthez is credited with creating credited with creating the power bomb. Yeah. Uh, sometime in the 1950s. Um, now I come across the fact that they say where it just says Luthez created the power bomb. But I've yet to come across a story where they say Luthez threw the first power bomb on this night on this person yeah. in 1950-whatever, yeah. you know. But um, I Luth- think... Go ahead. I was going to say, but Luthez, I mean, honestly, if you look at a lot of these holds, and hey, who created that move? I would say that you spit out two names, you're going to be right 70% of the time. You say Gotch or you say Thez. Yeah. Um, I know Thez... He did a uh, Roman, um, basically a belly to uh, a belly to back suplex, uh, right with the Russian. Um, you grab him in a. He'd just do a higher version of a, of a belly to back suplex. He'd drop you real high, and I know he got some heat for that sometime because people, some guys were saying back in the day that he weren't wasn't protecting him. He dropped him so high, kind of spike him. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good Roman Roman Greco technique. What I was getting, that's what it was. And he, you grab grab around the waist from a headlock position. Uh, someone had thousand headlock. He'd grab around the waist, lift him up, shoot up on him, and then you know bridge, take him back. So apparently, what I would think happened is he's he's went for something, and and you say, gosh, the same thing. Someone's tried to get away while they're going up, and he spun him around probably. Okay. And then dropped them. Uh, well, flat, you know, instead yeah. of on her side. 
uh, to his side, rather, they dropped more out in front of him. So at some point, someone's probably tried to wiggle up away from it, and he's twisted his body as the other guy twisted his. That's just my take. From there, I would imagine some young Japanese guy saw that, you know, and said, oh, powerbomb, you know, and, and kept it in his memory. And um, no no facts on this, just saying some young guys probably watched this and was like, uh, I remember he done this move one time, and this is the way it was done, you know. Mm-hmm. And they started incorporating it into the training or into, you know, a, into an actual match. This is uh, – the guy's going to bend over in front of me for a backdrop or something. I'm going to reach down, grab him around the waist, pick him up as high as I can over my head, and drop him down, and we'll call it a powerbomb, you know. Um, again, I don't know that fact. I know the first time I really started hearing about it a lot – uh, was when I was training and stuff because I, I had the old Japanese magazines then and uh, I'd see pictures, you know, and then also we got video and uh, uh, the video w- was uh, um, all Japan and had, you know, Terry Gordy <laughs> just destroying guys, you know, uh, prior to his injury, he was just in there, uh, you know, just fucking destroying these guys, power bombs after power bombs because it had, it had uh, Steve Williams doing stuff. It had Gordy doing stuff. And then it had something we're going to talk about a little bit later on here doing stuff with the uh, um, uh, uh, the Lariat, you know. So yeah. it was just one of those tapes that just highlighted the Americans. And uh, Gordy was just killing these guys with the power bombs, you know. So um, anyway, the power bomb. Um, people nowadays kick out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I'll tell you this. Uh, when I was in Japan, I know you're saying people out there, you're like, Bobby, you're an old fart, you know. Well, that's all right. You could also say, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, it, it was 26 years ago, February, uh, that I beat Lawler for the heavyweight championship and defended against Blandell. And those are all good memories. And like Malenko used to tell me, though, you know, nothing's older than yesterday's newspaper. Well, I'm not here trying to spread yesterday's newspaper. I'm trying to preserve professional wrestling, you know, kind of in a way, the professor myself are. So where I was going with that is, is um, uh, when I was in Japan and I was wrestling Jinsei uh, uh, Hakushi in the semi-main events, if I went with Sasuke in a main event, I, you'd work several days and I'd beat these Japanese boys up, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom. They'd tell me, give them one spot, give them five minutes, uh, eat them up or whatever. And then I'd work against one of the top tier guys and Jensei would powerbomb me. One, two, three. Okay. Did that a couple of times in a couple of different towns. Now I didn't kick out, but because they had plans for me. So I would take the powerbomb. One, two, three, and lay there, okay? But then there was more to the match. The next time we was in that same town or in a bigger town, and they wanted two or three minutes more to the match, so what I would do, I would kick out of it at the last second. But the way I would kick, I'd automatically rotate my body because he was letting off of me, okay? And he immediately put me into uh, pretty much um, a reverse camel clutch, but he'd, he'd grab my wrist, grab both my wrist and sit on my lower back and arch up for an automatic submission. See? So it meant something. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. It extended the match. Uh, I got smart enough or tough enough or whatever you want to say to kick out of it, but he was one step ahead of me once again to grab both wrists and put me into that, like I said, basically a camel clutch with my hands uh, crossed across my chest. 
and um, you know, give the old ref the the batty eye, like you know, tapping out or whatever you're tapping his hands, and 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 waiting for the you know bell to ring. But um, <clears throat> so that said, we already worked ten or twelve, thirteen minutes. Now we're going to take it up to fifteen minutes, you know, um, and and because people just last week or two weeks before that, depending on where you're at on that part of the tour, uh, he cooked the power bomb. Uh, that's what we saw last week. Oh, you know, he kicked out. It meant something. I didn't kick out, though, and jump right back up and fucking start doing drop kick tip tosses and fucking going out and buying popcorn. You know, I, yeah. I, I stayed right there based in the middle of the ring. Um, I mentioned it. Uh, we'll talk about my books later on, but uh, we were somewhere, small town man over in Japan, in just say, uh, uh, Teddy son was the referee. Uh, Teddy, uh, it's called him Teddy son. Uh, and Jim say picked me up for the power bomb and, um, I wasn't supposed to kick out. It was supposed to be the finish. Um, I go up for him. He plants me. Teddy comes down one, two, <laughs> I just let out a big-ass fart. <laughs> Jensei had his head right between my legs where he come down at to, for the pin. And he fucking rolled off of me. And Teddy dropped his face down to the mat. And what I'm doing, I'm putting my hand like you're coughing into your elbow. Uh-huh. Uh, like you sneeze or coughing into your elbow like you're telling everyone to do now. Teddy's son just put his face flat on the ground and had his elbow, had his face basically in his elbow, cracked up in a ring. Oh. <laughs> and Jensei popped up off the mat. Well, I snickered, man, because I didn't know whether it was shit, shower, shave, blind <laughs> no or what. But I knew it, we had to get the finish in there, right? You know, because I only took the two count. But it, it, it knocked the gas out of me. So I laid there for a second, spun away from Teddy, and watched where Jensei was at. That's another good thing that I was always good at, and that is keep my eye on my opponent wherever he's at. And I saw him, I saw him give me the office, you know. Um, he was coming to me. I reached my hands up over my head like I was going to axe handle him. Gives me a boot to the gut, nice and easy. <laughs> Picks me up nice and easy. Powerball nice and easy. And Teddy just reached over one, two, three. You know? uh, so we got through it, um, but we had a good laugh about it too. So, um, you know. Uh, shoot. Hey, talk about wearing a mask. I should have a mask on right now. I just I spit all over this, uh, screen, <laughs> this screen thing. What do, you, what do you call it for your microphone? My spit catcher. You, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, You're, I uh, get a little bit excited there, man. Sorry. I was giving you, the, uh, giving you the weather, not the news, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got excited about the power bomb. Okay. Don't kick out unless you're supposed to. What we got next, Jeremy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the long and the short of that one. Um, yeah. okay. So this one. Surprisingly, there's a little controversy around this guy here. Yep. Uh, this is the DDT. Now, I, I do want to say, I saw Buddy Rose use this maybe first, really? but they but they called it a small pile driver. Okay. Now, interesting. Yeah. Now, I would actually have to check the dates to know for sure, but it may have just been one of those things where that's what I saw first. But it was already being used by Jake Roberts. But that being said, what does Ron Starr have to say about the DDT? Oh, well, okay. So we know that Jake's version is uh, with the grappler, and they were, what, 30 minutes into a match and too tired to go on. He slipped across the rope or something mm -hmm. and dropped them, right? Yep. 
Everyone knows that. Her dad, Ron Starr. Now again, Ron Starr's passed away. Ron Starr is a pretty good guy to me, I have to say. Uh, he booked me up there in Canada, um, you know, that first year up there, and he had worked out in Kansas City, and um, he he was uh, about Jake's age, I think, a couple years older, and he said that he taught uh, Jake the, G the DDT. Now. He could be just a guy. When I met Ron, he's in his 40s. He could have been just a um, uh, guy in his 40s telling a couple young wrestlers like myself, my tag team partner, Rico, and and uh, Robert the Arcadian Giant and Soaring Eagle and some of the guys that were in the dressing room, you know, just to impress the young boys, you know. Yeah. Um, he could have <laughs> been just fucking around. Uh, but um, he could have also been talking about how he used it uh, in Kansas City area and um, uh, something about uh, Jake started using it and they let Jake continue to use it. But he was the one, you know, doing it first. Now, th th that could be said by anything. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, again, he could have just been riveted, but in his mind, he could have been telling us the truth. I don't know. Um, I just know he said he was using it. And he did it very. He did it very effectively. I, uh, Ron had a hell of a DDT. Uh, I, I saw him in Canada using it. I saw him over in South Africa using it. It was very effective. He didn't set it up with the short clothesline too often. He did it out of a wrestling spot, and he'd get you. And he could. He could really. He made it look good. I'll say that. Uh, Manny Fernandez made it look good. He would do it off the. He called it power bull. Uh, he would do it off the second rope. Yeah, second rope DDT. Manny, Manny. You know, uh, there's a guy who doesn't get a lot of credit. Orange, yeah. Orange DDT was fucking oh, awesome. Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of them out there, but um, I guess uh, uh, we come up with uh, Black Gorman uh, from uh, uh, Mexico coming up with the 1970s. That's been the latest controversy, I think. Is that right? who's finally gotten credit. Someone put up some video that Black Gordman was doing it down in uh, Mexico in the 70s. Uh, I, who, I who believe we credit to. Yeah, I believe that's that's where they're, they're pointing it to now. Uh, look, I'm sure the DDT was invented multiple times by multiple people yeah. who didn't see it. Uh, you know, because, I mean, it's a killer move, and it's the nice thing about it is it's simple. It's, yeah. you know, once you, once you got your flow down... You know, you get somebody in a fucking chancery and boom, one shot, one kill, it's yeah. done, you know. Um, I well, think one of my favorites, though, has got to be Foley or Cactus Jack's uh, chicken wing DDT, where he'd mm -hmm. arm them and they, that looked that looked nasty. Yeah, yeah, it looked dangerous, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I think you can go back to what you said about Michael's popularizing the uh, super kick. Uh, same thing with Jake. Jake supervised this, uh, the DDT, you know, he... he, he uh, popularized it rather. Yeah, right? yeah. Like I said. Popularized it. Uh, again, uh, like you said, um, uh, uh, Ron Starr, uh, who'd you say? Um, Big Blonde, Buddy Rose. Buddy Rose. Other, other people have used it, but I think that's the deal. Jake probably, again, it's all the eyeballs on TV at that in uh, WWF at the time when they reached that peak of, you know, Saturday night main events. Yeah. Uh, pay-per-views and you're hitting that many people and no one else on the show can do this show, do this spot. So when he did it, it meant something, you know? Um, so, so that's probably, you know, the best bet that most people can go with. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, there's no disputing that, um, it probably did happen, uh, the way he said it, you know, for him, 
now uh, when he's talking about, I think, uh, what was his name, Lynn Denton, the grappler. Mm-hmm. I think they were going like 27, 30 minutes or something. They was tired. He slipped, and he did it that way, and it just looked really nasty and, um, you know, felt good, and they stuck with it, you know. So uh, it could have easily happened that way too. But but other people have done it, like you said. Arn, yeah, Arn had a really good one. I, I appreciate that. That's that's a pretty damn good one. Yeah, Arn, Arn. Well, you know, Arn had a couple of things that he could deliver like nobody's fucking business. Yeah, and the DDT and the Spinebuster are, are yeah. probably the two that you see his, and you're just like nobody else should really be using those moves except. Jake Roberts DDT looked like a killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's keep moving here and yep. talk about the power slam. Um, okay, so I think of the British Bulldog and Dr. Death when I think of a power slam. Um, yeah. You know, they just big, powerful guys. There's that clip yeah. on clip on Twitter of uh, what was it? Somebody backdrop somebody. And then Steve Williams catches him in the air in a gorilla press. Yeah. After yeah, the midnight. I yeah. Think. Holy He's shit. He's with the midnight press. Yeah. Um, yes, one, they backdrop, midnight backdrop him. He caught him, pressed him, and power slammed him. Uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, um, but I that's, added Buzz Sawyer to this group. I did see that. And you know what? Um, that is my mistake for leaving him out, probably. Uh, he did that real quick one, snap one. Yeah. You know, um, out of nowhere, um, just and he'd get real low on a guy and spin him over, uh, almost like Randy Orton does his really fast. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, Buzz did. He did his really fast. But I think most people can go with what you said, uh, British Bulldog, or again, probably overall Doc Williams. You know, that's probably now did he invent it? No, but he, by God, he probably won it. When you did it, you're not kicking out of it. No, you know, out of all the people, now you're not kicking out of Buzzes, and you're probably not kicking out of Bulldogs. If you're kicking out of Bulldogs, it may have made sense if they're in a program with someone, or they're letting someone break it up. You know, come in and give them a boot to the back of the head get the clean, not clean break, obviously, I'm sorry, but get the break to move the match along. Yeah. But on uh, uh, Buzz Sawyer, when he done it, was a finish, and when uh, Doc Williams done it, that's the finish, you know, unless unless he's just going to get up and not pit him so he can go and tag Gordy, and Gordy can power drive him, or he can tag uh, Stan and let Stan do his thing with him. So pretty much, though, uh, that's just more punishment on top of punishment. The guy would probably rather lay there and take the power slam and get pinned. Uh, yeah, after the, tackle, <laughs> you know, after the football tackle. Yeah, so, just put me out of my misery. Let's just yeah, put, yeah let's just end this, please. So, um, let's do something here real quick. Let's go to the very bottom there. Okay, uh, Boston Crab, because I know we'd have a lot to say with that. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. We jump down to that, and then we'll come back with the uh, uh, work way back up that way if that's okay. Yeah, them, that's... them two. The the the. I'll see you see my cursors at, but those um. Those two there, we got a lot to talk about, it looks like, um, before my books. But anyway, yeah, Boston Crab, what do you think about that? That's a lot of pressure on your lower back. Yeah, the Boston Crab is a move that it should be a finish. I mean, that's there's yeah. no reason that that move is not. Even a half crab, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of pressure. If it's if it's applied correctly and it looks right, the back, you can even affect the, you know, the neck, the ankle, yeah. and the knee. I mean... You know, you usually see that it's almost like a transition, like like okay, let's let's hold this for a minute, and we're gonna take yeah. a breath, and then you know, okay, then I'm gonna get a hold of your ankle, and then we're gonna roll out, and then we're gonna go back to whatever. 
you know. I saw a lot of guys tapped out uh, shoot style on Sundays with this single leg crab in Tampa. If a guy got him down in the right position doing a shoot style and he hooked that, just that hip, you put that pressure on a guy's hip like that mm-hmm. and sit down on a legit with an ankle lock, you can make it, you know, now with when I can't uh, say I know this, uh, I wrestled the Rock's dad, soul man Rocky Johnson, outside of Tampa in about 1992 in an I quit match at a roller rink. <laughs> and uh, that's what he put me in, uh, something simple and easy. And I think that's probably the uh, first and last time I only tapped out to the Boston Crab. Um, again, I didn't tap out. I actually quit. So same thing, what have you. But now when I got to Smoky Mountain, Candido and I would use that. Um, he could sink it in pretty deep because I had a good, good bridge and I was in really good shape and he could, he could hook it in deep enough that we could get a rest spot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's a little bit stiff, but, uh, again, you're in there work and the adrenaline's going and then I would eventually crawl. He'd walk me, you know, crab walk me basically. And I'd either get to a rope or, you know, uh, get enough strength up to do a, a half a push up and, and he'd take a bump depending on where we were at, what we were doing. Um, you know, what kind of office he gave me as far as, uh, you know, I could tell how he was, you know, if he's walking me backwards or if he's twisting me one way or the other, am I going to go forward or am I going to twist out, you know, when I do a push up? So, um, again, though, uh, legitimately, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't at that time, it wasn't, you know, early nineties, it wasn't a finish then, but at one time it had been a finish, you know, yeah. uh, with that name, like at the Boston, Oh my God, he's got him in a Boston crab. You know, he's ripping his guts out and he's tearing down his lumbar region of his back. You know, uh, he's going to tap out any minute now. That's the way it should be. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, uh, we just didn't have, um, uh, I don't know of anyone that um, we could place it on. I didn't see anyone or find one that said, you know, uh, Johnny Smith from Boston, you know, uh, is the one inventor of the Boston Crab. I don't, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, if someone wants to send that in, send it in. Um, let us know who you, who you heard it from uh, or maybe someone that you've done it to or someone done it to you. Tell us the funny story. Uh, well, okay, let's, let's, Jeremy, hold on, hold on. This, this there can't. There is no way this got. can be right. Ricky Choshu invented the Boston Crab. No, I'm not. Ah, no, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. That's why you gotta. That Wikipedia sometimes you gotta let that stuff. Like, I looked up something and they actually had the guy that asked a question and had his name in the article. He invented it, and I was like, wait a minute. I just read this. He just asked a question. <laughs> it was a Japanese name, and I was like, I think they're trying to, someone's trying to give him credit, like when he edited himself or something, you know. Yeah. Like one of his buddies went in and ribbed him and said, you know, hey, hey, Jeremy, if you if you edit this on Wikipedia, I'm going to go back in and edit on top of you. And I put, yeah, Jeremy invented it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think Koshu, I think as long, that thing, the Boston Crash has been around since uh, uh, the, at least the 50s, and how they shot it in the, um, the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, uh, probably in the Munsters. Uh, I want to uh, say I saw, but I, I want to say I saw a Boston Crab in a late '40s Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, we'll give credit to fucking Bugs Bunny. There we go. Bugs Bunny <laughs> invented the Boston Crab. Yeah. Well, then uh, then it'd be called the Albuquerque Crab, wouldn't it? There you go. Take yeah. off. I knew I should take that left in Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man! All right. Okay. Um, let's go to the airplane spin next. How about that? All right. Let's go to the airplane spin. 
Gorilla Monsoon. That's what you told me, right? Uh, I. Well, or did you say I told you? How did that go? Hold on, hold on, because I was talking about putting the giant swing in here, and that's a Gorilla Monsoon move. But we're okay. uh, we're going to do some on-the-spot investigation here, yeah. Bobby. Because I, I thought, I, well, I knew that Gorilla Monsoon had did the airplane spin with Muhammad Ali. Pop? They did the build-up yeah. there, and he he done it, you know, for that big pop uh, with Ali. Ali took his shoes off and started shuffling around. Uh, Gorilla hooked him, picks him up in airplane spin, and then spun him around the ring there for the uh, Anoki um, uh, Ali fight back in 76. But I wasn't how sure how much Monsoon had used the airplane spin prior to that. Uh, a uh, lot. Was See, he doing what I was getting at? Yeah. The thing I just I mean, found says that it was made famous by Hall of Famer Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, so he uses that. But I'm saying is, is was he the first that – that used it to finish, or was anyone else ever using that before that? Or is that one of the ones you saw on the, uh, again, same thing with a fucking Beverly Hillbillies, granny, you know, uh, out there swinging her and Ellie Mae tag team against someone and swinging around by their ponytails, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's probably been around for a while, the airplane spin. Uh, hold on, let's see. What do I... Gorilla Monsoon, right? Let's see. The Fokker spins. No, that's an actual airplane. Okay. Spinking no shit, Bobby. Uh, I don't see it. I'm gonna have to say it probably developed in the 30s when um, yeah when okay so when the when the era of guys like Gotch was over, I'm gonna imagine that was one of the first ones because it was a lift move. You pull a guy yeah. up and that that's gonna just excite the shit out of the crowd. Just any any motion that's upwards instead right. of two guys laying on the ground for two and a half hours. Um, and then it just, you know, probably looked amazing back then. Oh my God, that guy's going to be dizzy and he's going to throw up when he sets him down. Yeah. That's my guess, but I don't see anything to back it up. <laughs> well, we'll go for a monsoon for now. Cause that was the one that popularized it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe I'll put that in my next book. We'll have these, uh, these top 10, uh, wrestling moves that should I put, uh, in, in, uh, my second book, I put in her my favorite, my wrestling, you know, moves and hot. I put the top of it, you know, was the pile driver. We already spoke about that. So speaking of books, maybe we'll put a, a story in the third book here coming. Uh, and, and, and I don't know what time frame that's going to be. I think I'm going to actually have some typing done tomorrow and this week uh, per an agreement with a friend of mine. We'll just have to see. But um I'm going to go ahead and plug those books right now. Mm-hmm. The first one is Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost Will Travel. The professor gives you an easy way to get to that book. If you want to purchase it, you go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. It'll take you right to the Amazon site. Uh, it helps our affiliate account with Amazon. We get a few cents kicked back to us, and hopefully we can do something with that one day. So anyway, my books are all available on Amazon, but use these sites uh, anytime you're using something on uh, Amazon, just, um, you know, if you use this site here, the show gets kicked back. It's tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. Uh, my second book, I kicked out on two, The Educational Wrestler. Uh, if you'd like to get that book, once again, easy, easy gateway to get there, and that is uh, tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. I'd appreciate it very much. It'd put a smile on my face. Professor hopefully gets a little bit of money into his affiliate account, 
and uh, we sell a book or two, and that's what helps this show keep going, and we appreciate it. And also, I appreciate any reviews. Uh, the professor and I appreciate reviews on you know iTunes, um, uh, Spotify, and all that for our program here. And also, I appreciate uh, fair and honest views on my book. So uh, I, uh, just leave a rating. I appreciate that if you read it. Um, tell a friend about it. Also, retweet our show, man. Um, anytime we're out there, uh, you know, tweeting about you know this week's episode, do that for us, man. It's a, it's a big help. It's more than you know. And I've seen people just in. Watching several podcasts this last week um, and listening to a couple that I had to, I got caught up on, I see people out here, you know, a lot of people helping each other out in the podcast world. And that's what it takes, man. And I see it on my Twitter with the authors. Uh, there's a hashtag AHA, authors helping authors. So, you know, uh, um, just, just do it for a friend, you know, retweet it for a professor or for myself. But again, tinyrail.com. Slash Blaze Book One will get you pin me pay me. Tinyrail.com slash Blaze Book Two will get you I kicked out onto the education wrestler. Thank you very much. And we got some more work to do here. We got a couple, we got about three more, I think, Jeremy. Yep. Um, uh, two more. Two I, more. I wanted to throw this out real quick, though, just because I had it in mind and in front of my eyes now. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Londos used an airplane spin. Okay. If that gives you some idea of the time. Uh, Dominic DiNucci used it, and so did Joe Blanchard. Okay. Um, so that means it's off the subject. 40s, but yeah. Yeah. Back to the books real quick. we done an episode on the books. A lot of good feedback on that. Let me say something, people. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not. Um, there's a lot of good wrestling books out there. Jeremy and I talked about just because we haven't read them or didn't recommend them. I know there's a couple out there right now. Uh, Tim Hornbacker has a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one was a nature boy. I've heard really great. And the other one is on, um, uh, Andre eighth wonder of the world. Um, not sure who wrote that one, but man, I hear really good things about both of those books. So, you know, we just kind of gave you some recommendations of stuff re- we had read and enjoyed, but there's a lot of good a lot of good wrestling books out there right now, so I kind of got sidetracked. I wanted to, kind of like the mullet thing, wanted to, you know, notify my notes. Um, so we got two more big moves here that used to be uh, finishes that people just used uh, nowadays to move into another spot. And I'm going to go with the, uh, which I thought this move was always beautiful, and that is the Russian leg sweep, man. I really like that. I used it as a transition spot, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, Brad Armstrong does this move, in my opinion, better than anyone. He would stop. He would hook the guy legit, go back on his back, float over for the pin. It looked beautiful, that Russian leg sweep. Now, um, when I was in Canada, uh, Ron said, Bobby, let the guy go for a backdrop. When he bends over, you thump. Across the upper back, or give them a stiff forearm from underneath. If you can come off your knee to that, then go into the leg sweep. There's your knee spot. That's where you start getting your heat. Yes, sir. Do it. But Brad done it uh, better than anyone, I think. And the only one closest to that, but again, he probably popularized it. Bret Hart. What do you think? I think Bret Hart. Yeah, he's the guy I think of automatically when I hear Russian leg okay. sweep. Um, but yeah, uh, Brad Armstrong. I mean, hell of a, you know what? He was he was fucking good at everything he did. Um, yeah, yeah, you know he's one of those guys that you know needed needs to be pointed out a lot more. Um, 
But yeah, Bret Hart's yeah. who I think of, and of course Bret Hart, besides bitching and complaining all the time, was well, the excellence of execution. He could pull a move off better. <laughs> I mean, you give him a move that he does, and he his looks better than anybody's. Yeah, you're right. He yeah. does, man. Yeah. He, uh, tremendous in-ring performer, man. I mean, you know, it's just uh, he ex- what a, excellent of ex- excellent of execution. Yeah. Execution of excellence, rather. I mean, that's, that's pretty damn – that's fair. It's a fair assessment. Well, I think so. Know? I think absolutely yeah. it is, yeah. And um, anyway, I like that Russian leg sweep. Those two come to mind. Um, I've used it. I'm not sure uh, who else used it. Um I've seen it used, but um, I just, it's just not coming to mind of anyone. Really, those two, as far as mainstream TV, used it a lot more than anyone else I've ever seen. Now, I don't see a lot of people using it, um, even on the indies, but I, I have seen people use it as a transition. And um, I'm okay with that uh, because it's, it you know, like I said, bigger, faster, stronger athletes. And um, if you got more moves and are capable of, of following up with something, if you just kick out of it to be kicking out of it, no, you know, take the damn finish. So uh, we got one big move left, Jeremy. Oh, this is one of my absolute favorites. Um, I, I could I could watch this move pretty much all day long when it's done well, and I can argue with people about if it should be a finish or not. I, I am 100% on clotheslines and lariats are finishes, and they should not be thrown about fucking willy-nilly in a match. And uh, you you want to argue with that? I, I'll have you go talk to Stan fucking Hanson about it. Well, I got someone else you can talk to about inter, uh, that um, invented the lariat. Mm-hmm. Native Americans invented the lariat. Uh, was that for like horseback wrestling? <laughs> well, the rope, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just get that straight. Let's get some credit. Well, there. well, some uh, of some of those horse tribes they they wrestled from horseback, you know. Oh yeah. No, um, and they learned that the Comanches learned to fucking shoot arrows off the horses going full speed, man. That's yep. how he owned uh, Texas forever, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I was just putting that over to Larry, you know. Uh, I don't know how Stan got that name, like because he carried that bull rope, you know. But uh, when he rolled that big old elbow uh, brace up one or his pad, uh, you know, it when he come and hit you with that, Jesus it was Christ. coming. I don't like a clothesline. Uh, just to, in a match, you give a guy a clothesline. I like to see a lariat, you know, like when you're coming across through there and he he hit you, you know what I'm saying? Take your damn head off, hit you. Um, no one should be kicking out of that. No. And if you watch anything he done from Japan, those Japanese guys did not get up from that. There was, there was very little transition. Again, it goes to like this. If Stan did that, and something were to take place, there's probably someone else jumping in the ring, and then that being followed up with someone like Doc or Gordy coming in and doing one of their either a power bomb or a power slam, you know. So it might have been a combination of things, but it meant something. No one was getting up out of one of those three things there, you know. And um, Stan, when he when he gave it, you know, he gave it. He, you know, those uh, you just you just had to take it basically. Uh, you know, he's legally blind. Uh, Brendan Malenko's tell me, you know, how many times they just, you know, when Stan goes to do the Larry, you just, it's just something you fucking take. You just got to get used to it, you know. Uh, so uh, Bradshaw done the clothesline from hell. 
yeah, that looked really good, looked impressive, and he kept it towards the end of the match. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the main thing on that one there too. No one was just doing a clothesline and then getting back up from it, you know. And that's that's why I appreciated that on Bradshaw, uh, him actually doing it, you know. Um, after that, uh, trying to think who comes to mind that done a really nice clothesline. I don't know, like you know, sometimes uh, this is not a dig on this guy because. Where, where I think we're both big fans of him was like uh, uh, Barry Windham would sometimes do that running jump and put his arm up and throw his clothesline out and just kind of keep on spinning. Um, I think Barry did it that way. A couple other guys did. They did more or less just a clothesline, like you're running across the ring and hit a guy. You know, of course, the Ultimate Warrior had the worst. That was a grizzly, grizzly, grizzly shits of, uh, you know, putting his arm out and standing there expecting a guy to run into it or something. So uh, I think there's a big distinction between what's a clothesline and what's a lariat, and a lariat is staying the man Hanson. And uh, I don't think anyone should be kicking out of that. So it's a finish in my mind. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I see where, I, even as I was, like, getting ready for this episode, I've argued with people, you know, oh, that's not a clothesline, that's a lariat. Okay, you know what? I don't, I don't care how fucking finely you slice the hair. They're the same fucking thing. I was reading this yeah. thing like, oh, a clothesline, you're straight-armed. Uh, Lariat, you have your arm crooked. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ, dude. You're taking your arm and you're slamming a dude somewhere between the chin and the throat. <laughs> I don't care if yeah. they're running, if you're running, if you're swinging. That's the same move, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you go and you watch Stan Hansen's Lariat, uh, JBL's uh, Clothesline from Hell. There's this uh, girl I follow on Twitter and through the indies, uh, Sarah Rebel, I think is the name she's under now. But she's got a move she calls the Clothesline from Heck. And it just, I mean, it just looks like she pops a dude's head, or this chick's head off when she hits it, you know. Um, I think that's a killer move, and it should be a knockout shot. It should be right there with a the super kick. Well, if it comes from Stan, it is a knockout shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's go back real quickly here. Do you have one of these moves here as your favorite that you wish was still a finish or uh, anything? Super um, kick. I think you may have just, okay, you like that as a finish? Yeah. I'm, um, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, the super kick would be number one just because of my longstanding hatred for what's been done to it. Um but you know, I think I think the clothesline slash lariat should always be used for finish and not used mid match. Right, right. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I like the um, I like that um, Russian leg sweep a lot. I think it's very pretty. I wish it were a finish, but I think it's um, it's, it's you, if you do it right, like I said, if a transitional move the way. Um, uh, Either Brett or uh, Brad, you know, floated over, went for the pin, one, two, or transitioned to another move. I think that I like that. I can accept that one okay. Um, I don't know, man. That DDT looks wicked. No matter yeah. who we talked about doing it, I mean, we even threw Manny's name in there, you know. Um, hell. Um, I would say for me, probably because of my time frame, the power bomb, because I saw it when it was a finish. When I was coming into the business, it was a finish. And I knew it was used to the finish. And then through time, I started seeing people, you know, uh, turn it to a Huracarana or something else or uh, take one and kick out on one, um, you know, just stuff like that. So I would say my I would go with uh, I wish the power bomb when the guy picks you up like that and drops you like that and, and hopefully takes care of you. Then it then it's um, to me, that would be, the, you know, that would be. 
that would be cool if it was still if it was still finish. So um, anyway, what are we going to wrap up with here, Professor? Anything? Um, no, I got nothing, Bobby. All right, man. Well, I think we've got episode 104 in the can here. Um, the uh, had some good episodes. I hope you and the Silver Scorpion are now back on uh, a regular deal here so we can keep on recording these. I hope people <laughs> like the one I did solo. Um, I tried my best. Um, I think this one here come out real good. I hope it does. Anyway, it's, I knew we would have fun with it, so um, I think we did. Uh, I don't know, man. Stay safe out there is it, people. Yep. Um, those of you in states that are opening up, I hope everything goes well. Uh, I can't wait till the rest of us can join you because I am sick of this being stuck in the house horseshit. <laughs> um, let's see here. You know, the NWA is coming back. Osama bin Laden is dead. The NWA lives. So it's an exciting time to be alive. Um, uh, did I miss anything? Waka flocka. That's it. All right. For the late Tex Johnson, for myself, Jeremy Vilmer, and for Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Bobby Blaze, bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>